Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. I am obsessed with cults, and I'm sure you are too. They are fascinating. From religious cults like Scientology to doomsday cults to sex cults. I mean, what would make a person join a group of people where you have to submit to one leader and that leader tells you what to do 24-7? You can't think for yourself. It kind of reminds me of that time when I worked for Big Pharma and I was hired as a nursing consultant. I was told, don't think for yourself, just read the script, push the drug and stay in your lane. In today's episode, we are exploring this cult obsession. Our guest today is Rachel Bernstein. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's been in practice for over 28 years. She's been working with the general clients as well as those who have been ensnared by cults and narcissists. She also advises family and friends of those in systems of control about ways to reach out to them. We're also going to be talking about how healthcare providers can better take care of a victim of a cult and what to do and to avoid misdiagnosis as well. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Please stay tuned and join the ride. Welcome to the show, Rachel Bernstein. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a great uh, opportunity. I haven't been on a show that has covered some of these issues, so I'm very excited about it. Well, cool. I am so excited to have you on because I'm obsessed with cults. (laughs) I have been obsessed with cults for I don't know how long. Uh, So I am so interested on covering this topic. And uh, I just want to know how you got into uh, doing therapy with people who have been in cults. And I kind of want to talk about what you do, how you got into it. And uh, yeah, we could start from there. Okay, so, right, it's a great question, and it's funny because when you were saying that you're obsessed with cults, I I have learned throughout my 28 years of doing this that uh, people ask me what I do for a living, and I'm somewhere where I want to leave soon. I just say that I'm a therapist, (laughs) and if I don't mind staying for a while because I know what's going to happen, I will say, you know, I work with people who have been involved in cults. What? What about this? this?" You'll never leave. Right. I, I get walked to my car and with just one more question, <laughs> but I like that people are interested, you know, cause I, I mean, I care, obviously I care about this issue. I find it fascinating. I care about it psychologically, but I also care about it as a human rights issue. Uh, so, so one of the reasons that I got involved was, uh, someone in my family who got, uh, introduced to a particular group and you could see the uh, transformation right away. Oh, wow. Change, wanting to just clean out the little that they had in their bank account just to give it over to this oh, place that God. promised them everything. And so at the time, there really were not a lot of resources for people out there, um, organizations, books about like their, like people can access now. People don't realize how lucky they are to be able to access all of this information now. Although as a caveat, people in cults cannot access any of that information. So people in cults actually know the least about their group 
as the people uh, outside in the general population because cults will keep people from accessing the internet and TVs and other things, especially any kind of negative information about their group or talking to people who have left. So people in cults are usually the most in the dark. Um, but I, I got involved, again, because of this person in my family where we could see this, the switch right away. And knowing also there are very few resources out there. And I thought, while I'm studying education and I'm studying to become a therapist, and I will do general counseling, and in fact, I work with many families and couples and people who, know, who don't know that I do this work at all, because <laughs> they come to me for other reasons. Um, I, as soon as I started specializing in this, I got calls right away. I've talked to therapists and they just told me I was crazy or um, I, was, I was already felt so ashamed, you know, having been involved in a cult and then I go to a therapist who then tells me, you know, uh, or judges me, what's wrong with you that you got involved, sort of shame on top of shame. And so it kind of prompted me to want to really all the more so be in this field, um, just to be able to be that resource. And then I think also uh, soon after I got started, I got harassed by Scientology. Wow. Uh, and they filed a complaint against me to my board and uh, were following me home. And yeah, I, I did stay home for about a week or two. And then I thought I was raised in this family this, uh, I don't know, but not that it matters, but Jewish kind of activist family, where it was this idea that you can't let the bullies win. Uh, and it, I just dug my heels in. And so even though I didn't start my website and come out sort of more publicly about doing this work until my kids were older, because I just didn't want them to have to deal with that kind of scariness, um, it, it that harassment had the opposite effect as I think they were hoping it would have on me. That is fascinating. You still kept going. I mean, I, I think that's great. It's like, this is your calling. You got to do it. There's not many people doing what you're doing. You know, that's, I think that's awesome. So what kinds of people come to you? I mean, are there family members that come to you? Are there people that are in cults or let's just start from the beginning. What makes a person join a cult? So I, f I find that question really interesting because it, it already is a multi-layered question. Some people join cults um, and some people get recruited. Some people are born into them. But really, if you talk to people who have come out of a group when they got involved later on in life, when they weren't born and raised in a group, they will all say, I never joined a cult. I joined the large group awareness training that said that they could help me with my problems. I got involved in this multi-level marketing thing. I got involved in the church. I, get, I never knew it was a cult. So people don't join cults because they don't know they're cults. Uh, they get involved in a group and it's like this slow burn where people will come up to you and be overly friendly, kind of this love bombing that people have heard about, or will promise you the world. Um, and will have other people in the group give testimonials about how, yes, this did answer all of their questions, this did solve all of their health problems, et cetera, et cetera. 
So you're surrounded by people who are confirming this false narrative. Um, I think in part because they either believe it because of the endorphins or because of placebo uh, or because they want to please the leaders who are listening uh, and they want to stay in good standing and in favor with them. So a lot of people are just kind of being lied to from the beginning uh, by the, not only the leader but the other members who know they need to in order to kind of stay within the magical thinking or to keep the leader happy with them. So no one really joins a cult. I mean, there was someone who said to me, uh, if my guru had been as honest as he said he was, because he said he was the most honest, most, most forthright person in the world, blah, 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 blah I hear that a lot. Um, he said if he had been really honest, and this is someone who had been involved in a group that had taken him away from college and away from his family, away from his girlfriend, away from his funds, uh, away from his mind for a little while. It, if, if the guru had come up to me and said, we want you to get involved in something that is going to promise you all the answers, but in fact just give you more questions, is going to tell you that you're now going to be more free than ever before, but it's going to make you more dependent and scared than ever before so that you feel like you can never leave and be safe and it's gonna take you away from your path as opposed to being able to give you one, um, then I never would have been involved, but that would have been honest. That's a fascinating point because most of these gurus, these cult leaders, they're sociopaths, right? They're narcissists, they're sociopaths. They have this, I mean, I think some of them start with a good idea, you know? Like the Bikram yoga guy, I had gone to a few months ago, an ESPN podcast event, and they were talking about the Bikram yoga guy uh, and how he had started hot yoga and how he came from India and he got this following and he just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, became this power monger and started doing all these terrible things. So, but still to this day, people go to his um, hot yoga classes, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Even though that they know what he did, they'll still open up the hot yoga places. I think that's just pretty crazy. I mean... Yeah, you know, there, there are people who I've treated, who I'm still treating now, who were still involved in a cult even when their leader was in prison and was running it from prison. Oh, wow. So the control is there. The manipulation still exists. The, uh, once it's kind of gotten under your skin and you believe in it, then you believe in it. I think you also sometimes think, and a lot of people will think this, that something bad may have happened, but it's just happening to someone else and it's just going to happen to someone else. I'm gonna go and just enjoy the benefits. Uh, of this and I'm strong enough to not have that kind of manipulation or that kind of predatory behavior happen to me. Um, and also sometimes people will believe, again, the false story of, well, those are just people who are disgruntled, who are complaining, um, they had some sort of cross to bear, that it's not a, a real issue that they had and the leader didn't do anything wrong. So people will 
keep going to something that they want to keep going to. And it actually takes more effort, as you're touching on, than we would think to actually get them to shift their thinking, even after uh, allegations have been proven against the leader. It happens in churches all the time, and it happens in businesses. It happens all over the place. Um, people don't want to have to give up what they think is a good thing. Yeah, and we saw that happen in the Catholic Church with all the um, rape and the pedophilia allegations going on with the many priests. People are still into Catholicism. I think it's one of the biggest religions out there. I mean, I grew up Catholic, and I felt it was very much like a cult. You know, um, I went to Catholic school from first grade to eighth grade, and I felt God was always watching me. And I felt that the Catholic religion was the only religion out there because that's what I was taught at the time when I went to public school and I started meeting so many different people from different backgrounds and religions. I was like, what is going on? It felt like I was in another world. It was very interesting, even though it was just a Catholic school. But because they ingrained it in you and indoctrinated in you, mm-hmm. it's like you believe that as a child, you know, it's kind of, it becomes part of your programming. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. something that um, I want to go back to when you said that individual that you were talking about in the beginning of the podcast, um, how he went away from his mind. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain how that happens or why in the psyche? Yeah, it's interesting because the people that I interview on on my podcast, they have a hard time sometimes answering the question, why? Well, why, why did that happen? Why and how? How did you start shifting your thinking? And because usually it's so subtle and because it's this sort of well-oiled machine of manipulation, you don't realize it's happening to you. So a lot of people leaving these groups are kind of questioned as though they're experts about what happened to them. They're not at all. It's still kind of a jumble and they're still having to learn. Um, But I think that when somebody is running an organization, um, uh, albeit, you know, um, fraudulent, whatever else, if if the person running it has this narcissistic need, and I'd say a good 90% of cult leaders are, are kind of malignant narcissists. Um, uh, some are not, some are not. Uh, and some, you still need to watch them because they can transform over time. They can kind of get drunk with their power. Uh, and so you still, I still wanna keep groups under my radar, even if the group leader hasn't done anything egregious yet. Um, but, they will want everyone to have group think. It's sort of like 1984, the, you know, but right. in real time. So they need for everyone to believe them because their uh, insecurity, which is sort of at their core, cannot tolerate anyone questioning them, anyone thinking in a different way than they are telling them to think. Um, having independent thinking because they want people to be dependent on them. So a lot of people are made to feel that they can't trust their own minds. It's, a, it's like walking into gaslighting, but on steroids. So you are just made to feel that your life was horrible before you were lucky enough to find this group, so you feel indebted to them. It's all these techniques of influence and control. But if you have a strong mind, if you have a strong core, if you have a strong kind of sense about who you are, that's good in the world, but that threatens a cult leader. 
So they will have to undo that. Uh, and so they don't want you to have your own opinions. And they will tell you your opinions are wrong. And they will tell you that uh, psychically they're punishable or in some other way, if it's not a kind of spiritual group, those are the things that are getting in the way of your success or whatever the language will be. So you abandon your thinking and you abandon your moral code. In fact, there are a lot of groups that will put people on the hot seat and have other members berate each other um, just to kind of break people down for the purpose of, well, it's said that this is to sort of build up your strength and your resilience. But I think it's just a game, a fun and sick game that the leader has the followers do and um, where they attack each other. And so people who leave groups often have a tremendous amount of confusion about who they are now and what they're supposed to think and what their thoughts are about things, what their opinions are, what they like, what they don't, but also about what's right and what's wrong. And that they feel tremendously guilty because they know that they were put in situations where they had to do things usually against their conscience in order just to survive uh, in that space and be liked by the leader um, or not be on the hot seat themselves. It's all very interesting. Another question I had, okay, so this is what I wanted to bring up before I went into my question. Um, I went to uh, the Writers Guild the other day and they were talking about the movie Russian Doll. And the way that Natasha, um, what's her name? I forget her name. Anyway, the main character, I can't remember her name now. Uh, She pitched the movie as um, Groundhog's Day meets No End. Mm -hmm. So I had never heard about No End, you know, and a lot of movie people know it. Uh, it, The philosopher's name is Jean-Paul Sartre, and he has a fascinating concept. So um, his thing is it's all about subjective and objective. And Mm -hmm. I guess in the play No End, um, there is a man, and first he was very subjective. He's against the war. Uh, and all of a sudden, he is put in a room with two other women who start to objectify him. Mm-hmm. So he loses a, his sense of self, yeah. and now he's objectified. Mm-hmm. So is that what's kind of happening in the cult whole ramification? I mean, before I, I, I was like, oh, is this what's kind of happening? People are now objects. They're not seen as a person anymore. Or like... Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a really good point. Um, You are not seen as a fully fledged human being. You are seen as less than. Again, if if a leader has this um, kind of uh, ego need to be the best and the brightest and the only, you know, the only one who has the answers and the only one who has that magic, etc., and will impart it on you, that means that you always have to be lower than them so that you are not someone who is at the same status and as fully formed uh, and um, enriched mentally or spiritually as they are, even though usually the most insecure uh, and least uh, developed person emotionally in the room in a cult is the leader. Um, But 
Yes, yeah, so you're seen as less than, and in fact, most of the cults will want you to um, think of yourself as someone who really doesn't have rights and doesn't have the right to have rights. And that's why a lot of bad things happen to people within cults, um, because you don't have the right to have uh, a sense of boundaries and say no, etc., cetera, um, because you don't have as many rights as the leader has. And also there are some cult leaders who will tell you that their goal for you is to be an empty vessel. So you're just this receptacle for their teachings. You're not a human being. And then if you're not a fully formed human being, they also then don't have the burden of caring about you and taking care of you and making sure that you're fed and that you sleep and that you get, you take care of your health. They just really don't care. They care, they care about you to the extent that your value is based on how much you do for them and how much you sacrifice for them. So also, can you go over like some of the dangers that cults can do? I mean, we know about what it can do on the mental health, what it can do on the psyche, but what else can they do? I mean, we saw that Rajneeshis, they tried to kill people with, uh, or poison people with the salmonella, with bioterrorism, um, and there have been some sex slave cults, uh, but what other like health ramifications can happen? So a lot of people in cults are not allowed to get um, the care that they need. Um, from a young age, even children are usually not able to see a doctor, a dentist. You're not able to go to a mental health professional because if you're doing things the right way, you shouldn't need any help. Um, and then if you have a, a physical ailment or if you have depression or anxiety, it's seen as you not following things the way you should. And so the, um, the diagnosis or kind of the action steps that you're supposed to take are that you're supposed to try harder and you're supposed to work harder and meditate longer and um, uh, stay up more hours or whatever else, something that's actually going to make it worse. Um, and so those are a lot of the ramifications and, uh, and we can also talk about how when people come out and sometimes they go to see a therapist or they go to see a psychiatrist or they go to the hospital, how they're misdiagnosed. And I think that's an important piece that so I want to make Yeah, misdiagnosed how? So what do they get diagnosed as? So, um, so a lot of people who I've worked with, um, have been uh, really overdiagnosed and also underdiagnosed, which is interesting because it, it's like problems at both ends of the spectrum. So they've been overdiagnosed, which is its own misdiagnosis, because while I know I do get calls from people who are, um, you know, not necessarily grounded in reality, and they think that people are reading their mind, and they think that um, there are things coming through their computer or whatever else, I can kind of, you know, refer them on, <laughs> gently refer them on because it's not a cult case, you know, that's a psychiatric issue. There are people who have wound up in hospitals or psych units and have opened up and trusted the staff there and have said things like, um, yeah, I believed that um, the mothership 
was coming behind the comet and it was going to save all of us. And so they were um, given a diagnosis of psychosis. Oh, wow. Some are given the diagnosis of having some sort of um, paranoid schizophrenia and put on medications for that. But all these people were doing is that they were actually saying what they were taught. This didn't originate from their minds. This was the belief of of the group. So the doctors, the nurses, the staff there just didn't do their research, just didn't look up the name of the group and say, what are their teachings and find out that those are the actual teachings. So that person is actually okay, probably traumatized and confused, but not psychotic. And so here they're given, I mean, it's horrible stories of being put on heavy doses of medications when none of that was necessary. The other extreme also happens where people are underdiagnosed. And this is a hard one because um, how do you know? How do you know that you're underdiagnosing someone? And instead of this being a misdiagnosis, I refer to it as a missed diagnosis. There are a lot of people who, when they are raised in controlling uh, groups, including very controlling families, Mm-hmm. Uh, or have been in very controlling relationships because I also work with people who have been in relationships with narcissists because the the programming is very similar to being in a cult and the, the after effects are very similar and the needs are very similar to having been involved in a cult. But usually people have developed dual personas. So they have mm-hmm. their original persona and then they have their cult persona. And the cult persona is always fine. You always have to seem fine. Uh, I think about the people who go door to door trying to convert me to one thing or another. Uh, and they just always seem so happy. But from the people I've talked to who were the ones sometimes going door to door, sometimes they were happy and sometimes they were completely miserable. But they had to smile through their day. Not only because they had to kind of fake it till they made it, but the person they were with was going to rat them out if they seemed unhappy or they shared that they were unhappy. So everyone, there are a lot of people kind of faking it in groups. Um, so here you have people who are really tremendously depressed, anxious, might be um, having delusions, but they're going to appear very composed because that's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior for the public, so the public doesn't clue into that anything bad is happening in that group behind closed doors. And so that's why you want to ask questions like, um, you know, you're here uh, getting some sort of treatment, reaching out for help, but you seem very much put together. Is that something that you've learned to do? And if it were safe to share how you really feel would you be able to let me know how you're really feeling? And what can I do to make you feel safe to let me know how you're really feeling? And so to kind of talk about how to talk about it, to get them to feel safe to share. Um, But also sometimes people born and raised in cults especially don't have the language of feelings. They sometimes don't know how they're feeling. They have learned that anger isn't anger, that's the devil you know, or whatever else. There's another language used for it, another word. Like abuse often isn't abuse. So if you ask someone, have you been abused in a cult? They might not know uh, because that's how people showed God's love towards you or 
that was because you were deserving of being treated that way. So all this other language is used. So for some people, you have to kind of give them the definitions of the words. Um, I have an example about that. When I was in Texas uh, helping with the um, FLDS uh, mm -hmm. compound raid, which w had its pros and cons. I, I would not have necessarily done it that way. But a lot of the social workers who I was helping to, to work with um, were asking the women and children who had left um, uh, about if they had been abused. And they looked blankly at these people. I, I, have n I don't know what you're talking about. What is that word? And they were also talking to them about their rights, also blank stare, what are rights? And so sometimes you have to offer the definition um, before you can get the accurate response. It's all very interesting. I mean, I grew up in a very controlling family, I guess you can say, very strict uh, Italian family. And I, I, my parents almost brainwashed me to stay home, to live at home until I was 26 years old, mm -hmm. until I was married. Oh, but you'll save money. Oh, but this. Oh, but that. You know, I couldn't go buy my own car. I had to drive the old family car. And it was just all this interesting stuff. Now, in my opinion, they were just doing it to help, but it really made me socially retarded. You know, uh, I ended up having lots of problems in work, mm -hmm. uh, in dealing with people, especially narcissists and especially mm -hmm. aggressive uh, nurse bullies who were there. You know, um, I tended to work harder and try to appease them as yeah, as right. as much as yeah. possible, kind of yeah. like a guru or kind of like, oh, I, I better be nice to this person. So yeah. maybe she'll be nice to me and stop bullying me. Right. Well, that there are no boundaries there. It's kind of the same thing. And that's what I had learned in the, in where I grew up with mm -hmm. my parents. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I was an adult and I just kept, I was just sick of all the problems that were happening to me. And I was always being blamed for the behavior that was going on wherever I was at, that I sought therapy and I started to really deprogram myself mm -hmm. and started to learn about boundaries and started to learn about uh, just how to talk to people and how to treat people. And it's been a, a very fascinating journey. I mean, I was at my parents' house last night and uh, they're very nice people, you know, but again, I got there and my brother was like, would you like some water? I was like, yes, please. Thank you. And my dad's like, she doesn't want water. She drinks wine. And I'm like, <laughs> and I go, I, go, I just said like my brother, and he's like, oh, and then my mother was like, put some oil on your green beans. And I'm like, I don't want oil on my green beans. You know, <laughs> like I, got, I was like, why is everybody telling me what to do? What's going on here? And they really had to stop and kind of be like, oh, wait a minute, you know? So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. not only, I, I don't even think they know what they're doing, you know? And uh, my family in Italy is 10 times worse or kind of like that. Like, I don't like to stay with them because I kind of feel like a prisoner. Because I kind of go back to that trauma. They're like, no, don't go anywhere by yourself. You're going to be raped and murdered. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Wow. And I'm like, right. uh, I live alone and I work in really weird places. So I, <laughs> I'm pretty street smart. You know, we just had a street smart podcast. Yeah. But I, I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm 46 years old. I think I can handle it. I think we're good. I've traveled quite a bit, you know. Right. So, uh, 
But yeah, yeah I mean, you know, cults didn't invent this, this whole kind of control and, you know, no, she doesn't want that. She wants this or she doesn't like that. She likes this. Uh, they just, you know, use it, they intensify it. Um, but I think so much of what uh, the distinction is for me, even though it can feel very similar to what you're describing um, with your family locally and also, uh, you know, in Italy, um, is that the intention is something that I think really matters. Right. right. And that's a great point that you bring up. Yes, it's all the intention. They have good intentions. Right. You know. So exactly. So the way they come across might be completely overwhelming and make yeah. you want to hide under the couch, but still they love you. Right. And they want right. you to be safe. So the intention, a cult leader or a narcissistic partner's intention is never for your safety. It's just, you know, so that you stay and feed their ego. So well, however that gets translated. So I think intention actually is something always that's good to, to remember, not that it makes it any easier to stay with your relatives. Pardon me uh, if your relatives are watching this. I have nothing, I've never met your relatives. <laughs> and you also, you had asked a question before about the dangers that cults pose in the world. And I talked about personal dangers, but there are, you know, there are other dangers that they pose. And I guess I can go back to talking about that if you want. Yeah, I used to work for uh, Dr. Paul Fleiss when he was alive uh, in Los Feliz, and we used to see a lot of Scientology patients. Uh, now I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, so I get a lot of patients in and they'd want to know about vaccines. And I would sit there for an hour and teach them all about vaccines, and they would walk away and say, we don't want them because we can't have them. And mm -hmm. so that was just the practice, and what we were supposed to do with the Scientology patients is just talk therapy and, and just tell them what was available. Uh, and if they wanted it, they could have it, but we weren't meant, we weren't pushing it on them. You know, like you have to have this, but Scientology has had a lot of problems too with um, deaths as we've seen, you know, with Leah Rimini's show and, uh, and everything. Um, but go ahead and, uh, you were going to talk about the other ramifications. So one of them, of course, now is vaccines. And we saw the whole thing with the, with the ship and the measles outbreak that yeah. happened. So, Right. I mean, the irony with the whole measles outbreak, of course, to people who know about the belief system, is that people who were uh, on that ship, by and large, were at a certain level of belief or a certain level of Scientology where they are supposed to be able to be resistant to anything bad happening to them in that way. So how does, how does someone make sense of that? How do you make sense of that kind of where the formula falls apart? Because uh, here they're all, there's a measles outbreak on a ship of people who are supposed to be um, kind of spiritually inoculated uh, by having taken all these classes and spent all this money on this organization. So there are always uh, ways to explain it away in these groups that someone then may have been in touch with someone who's referred to as an SP, a suppressive person. That's anyone who doesn't want you to be involved in Scientology or speaks out against it, um, or a family who, member who is left. So again, they reason away why those things happen because in a lot of these groups, there is this idea of kind of a sacred science. 
that what we are offering you is perfect. So if it's not working, you've done something wrong. We're free and clear of having to take any responsibility. We can make you any promise. Um, and we actually don't have to make good on it because if it doesn't work out that you are able to be um, uh, resistant to the measles, then it's because you've done something wrong. So it was a really interesting thing to watch how there were all these justifications made and they just could still feel like, you know, they haven't made any false promises. Um, but what is, what is troubling in a lot of these cultic groups is that people will often just do whatever the leader tells them to do. So if a leader wants you to raid a government office or hurt someone or intimidate them or try to um, destroy them in one way or another, uh, or if they want you like the sarin gas attack uh, in Tokyo, I mean, those are larger scale things. Um, the scary part is there are a lot of people in cults who will just do it and who will do it because they've come to believe, first of all, that's a way to stay within that community. And they've also come to believe that no one else cares about them outside in the world and the world isn't a safe place. So they have to do whatever they can to stay within that community. But also that there is some purpose for this. There's some reasoning given that makes it make sense. Uh, that it's somehow for the benefit of the world um, that you're doing this. And so that's, that's a very scary thing. The unquestioning devotion to the leader, unquestioning devotion to the teachings and to the directives. So, you know, it can go in many dangerous directions. And that's why, again, even if a cult is sort of starting out uh, or it's a new branch of a cult, I still try to keep my eye on it. Just to see, you know, just to see. So let's go over what you actually do. Because you did say you went to the LDS church, correct? Yeah, FLDS. So, yeah, so, right. So yeah. do you get called out? I mean, and what is your role there usually? Are you? Right. So that was a unique experience. Uh, that, was, that doesn't happen every day um, because they don't have those large-scale raids. And uh, so I was there to help, well, I was actually, most of the time I was sitting in a very large room with uh, some of the former uh, sister wives of the leader, Warren Jeffs and his family, and some of the lost boys, the boys who are kicked out at a certain age, because um, they need more women than men, and these poor boys, oh my God, they are just, they don't know how to be in the world, and they feel uh, I mean, a lot of them actually commit suicide. It's a very, very, very depressing kind of scenario. Again, that whole thing of we don't care about you, we're just discarding you, like you're less than human. Um, but it was to to talk to the social workers who were hired on to work with the uh, women and children and some of the young, um, also some of the younger sister wives who were there, to help guide them about how to work with the people who had been taken off the compound and also what to look out for. Like, for example, when I was noticing in one of the treatment rooms, they had a lot of the different um, uh, women from the group in the same room with some of the kids. And whoever is the most elder person 
uh, in the group gets the most respect and is also the most feared. And also that within these cultic groups, as I mentioned before, you're supposed to tell on each other. That's sort of part of the system. Mm -hmm. So people have to um, watch themselves all the time because they know they're being watched. So whenever the social worker would ask somebody in the room a question, they would look over at the woman who was the most sort of senior person in the group and she would nod her head to give her approval for that person to answer or how to answer. And the social worker didn't quite pick up on that because they didn't know about the hierarchy. Interesting. No, they weren't getting the answer from that person. They were getting the answer from that woman passed down to this person. So those kinds of things to, to, to have someone who knows about how cults work, it's a helpful thing when you're dealing with these kinds of situations. But most of the work that I do is just in my office, working with uh, families who have loved ones who have gotten involved in groups and they want to know how to intervene or what to say, what not to say, or they feel like they've blown it, like you're in a cult and we have to come get you. And then I try to help the families approach it in a different way so that uh, that their loved one doesn't just go missing and you know avoids them and cut out, cuts off all contact. I also run a, a weekly support group for former cult members and some parents who have loved ones in cults and they get support and also information about um, how to heal and also some of the parents and loved ones and spouses will ask the former members uh, what helped them leave and what's helped them heal. So they kind of learn from each other. And every once in a while I'll go and I'll help out with an intervention. It's always a non-forcible, very kind of mellow intervention. Um, uh, I would never be involved in anything where someone has their rights taken away. I mean, I think that's certainly counterproductive because you're trying to help help them get out of a place where their rights were taken away. So I would never dream of doing the same thing to them uh, in my effort in trying to help them. But yeah, it's mostly a lot of counseling and helping people who uh, were either born and raised in groups or who um, got involved later on and are either thinking about leaving because they've had doubts for a long time and they are just sort of needing to have the strength and the courage to leave um, or they've left and they feel so overwhelmed and like a fish out of water in the world and a lot of the teachings especially the fear-based teachings about the bad things that will happen to you if you leave got really under their skin so they walk around uh, in a lot of fear a lot of the time and have a lot of nightmares so there's a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress that uh, that I see coming through the door. That's all very fascinating. I'm just loving this podcast. It's so cool. So I have another question. With other, with organizations like, let's say, CrossFit or Big Pharma, would those be considered cults? Because in CrossFit, you know, everybody that is in that organization, they're all friends with themselves. They really don't associate with other people, you know, uh, and, um, I worked in the pharmaceutical uh, field for a couple of years and it was very much like a cult. It was very much, you know, downloading information. This is how it is. It's just this one way. You're not meant to think about yourself. I was hired as a consultant and I was told you have to follow the script. You don't think, you know, even if it's wrong, you know, I was always the person in class raising my hand. I'm like, well, 
if this drug is only 1% better than the generic, why are we selling it? I don't understand. When, and it's $350 and the generic costs $10. I don't get it. And I was taken to a room and I was sat down and I was talked to. Wow. And it was very, very traumatic for me. Like I started crying because of my, my background and, um, and I didn't really know about narcissistic personalities at the time, which Big Pharma is full of them. And it's full of people that are kind of like robots, you know, when they come to my clinic now, I, I cannot see them. I go, I do not want to see any salespeople. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't date salespeople. I have problems with realtors just because it's just fake, a fake persona. You know, they're trying to be nice to me. So I get very, very triggered. So I have to be very careful. And I'm like, I, I can't, you know because it's just so fake and I'm so empathic as a nurse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I feel that these people are fake feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's all very, very fascinating. I, I got talked to several times and pulled aside because I was expressing my opinion. And you're not supposed to express your opinion. Mm-hmm. You're just supposed to go with the script. And and people who are lifers in the whole pharmaceutical industry, they are, it, it's, it's very fascinating. You know, they're so indoctrinated mm-hmm. that they believe that they're helping people. In essence, they kind of are, but not really, you know. Um, so can you right. kind of talk to those groups as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting about CrossFit. I actually didn't, hadn't known about CrossFit until someone called me and said, um, can you tell me about the CrossFit cult? <laughs> I heard about that all in the same kind of sentence, you know. Right. I said, the what? So then I did my research. But there are people who were in it who say it became your life. And it was the only way to um, be healthy. It was the only right way to do it. You know, all that kind of uh, thinking of um, uh, there are all these techniques of influence. And uh, one of them is this idea of scarcity that only here and can you get this? And we have the only answer, and this is the only true way. And so people think they found it when they have found this thing that is scarce, but they found the answer. Uh, It's like, you know, watching shows like Home Shopping Network, if it's still on, but like they'll say there are only six bracelets left, you know, even though they have like a storeroom of millions of them. But there's this idea of scarcity, like, oh, well, I have to, you know, get it because there are only six left. But then they repeat. It's a sales tactic. Yeah. So they repeat the program over and over and you hear the same shtick. You know, we only have six left. So uh, anyway, but I think with organizations like Big Pharma, I mean, the the intention at the beginning may have been a good one. I I actually have in my family, uh, there were. Uh, my grandfather and his brother were professors of pharmacology at Columbia, and they made nothing. <laughs> I mean, they were working in labs, trying to do what they could, trying to find cures at the time, and, you know, were just on a professor's salary. And then it became, after that, just really big business. And so here you have people, I think, genuinely do want to help. But it's mixed in with this very Stepford way of being. Yes and also mixed in with greed. And so yes. that's a really dangerous combination um, when you have that everyone has to do it the same way and at the basis of a lot of decisions is um, to make a buck. So then uh, if you're in a, 
a field that is supposed to be helping people, but the people are less important than the money you're making, you're always going to have a dangerous situation. And you're always yeah. going to have a situation that's going to bother people's conscience like it bothers yours. I, I, I had a really hard pro. I, I had a hard time working in that field. I literally cried all the time. Yeah. I had um, not shout outs with my boss, but we, we just didn't see odds. The funny thing was, um, it, it's almost like the universe stepped in and did something very, very interesting. One of my friends called me one day and he said, I need to come, you need to come talk to me. And I was like, okay. And um, he, he sits me down and he says, I have to tell you this. I don't know how to tell you. And I was like, just tell me. He goes, I think I might be dating your boss. And I was like, what? And he was a gay man, and, and um, I thought my boss was gay. I have a lot of gay friends, and but he was just so fake, you know. And, and it was it bothered me. I'm I'm you know I'm quirky. I'm a pediatric nurse. I'm always cracking jokes, you know. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like my personality, and he just was always on top of me. So I started playing jokes on him, and I would get purposely get him lost whenever he'd have to come see me at the hospital. So. <laughs> So I would just offset it just to entertain myself because I just was like, okay, how can I get this guy back? You know, and he never had a, he had no clue I was doing that. So my friend is telling me and I was like, I'm really surprised that he would be dating you. You know, he's so uh, business-like and he's so like afraid to show his personality. And he's like, I was like, where did you meet him? He's like, oh, we met on like Grindr, you know, and I go, wow, he had his face on there. You know, and he's like, no, no, he had his naked torso. And so I just was like, wow. And so I don't know if my friend told him that I knew now knew his secret, you know, but his demeanor with me changed like 360 degrees. He was much nicer to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he just was softer and he kind of just let me be. And um, which was very, very interesting. Not that I was going to tell. I mean, I told my coworkers they didn't believe me. Right, right. I was like. That, that's another thing. I was like, oh, yeah, my friend is dating Donald, you know, and they're like, um, they're like, no, that's not true. No, what are you talking about? No. And I was like, <laughs> like, why would I lie about that? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it goes pretty crazy. But anyway, um, but yeah, it, it's just it was a fascinating world for me. I mean, it, it drove me crazy in my brain and it was not good for me. Um, later on, I started going down the rabbit hole of narcissism and started learning. And then I was like, Oh, okay. So I was, you know, had I known that information when I went into pharma, I don't think it would have bothered me as much. I would have Mm -hmm. known how to deal with these people much better because all they cared about was money. You know, they'd be like, yes, we're saving lives, but really they're like, Oh yeah, I got to go buy a new house or I got to buy a new boat or whatever they were doing. And that's all they would talk about. Right. I mean, they're saving lives, but only for the people who can afford. Exactly. So, right, they're saving certain people's lives. That's a great point. So wrapping up, is there anything that you'd like to add? I mean, we covered a broad range of topics, which has been great. I mean, I I, I love this, and I think it'll be great for our medical community, especially our nurses, especially if they have patients. Like I said, especially in Hollywood, there are a lot of Scientology patients that do tend to go to the hospital sometimes. When I worked at Children's Hospital, we would get patients, mm-hmm. and the nurses would get so frustrated, you know, uh, because they would bring in, if there was a Scientology patient, then they would bring in one of their people to kind of um, tell them or dictate what type of care 
the child got, you know, and it's hard because this is a child, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I, it's been a while since I've worked there. Uh, and I, and I forget if they got social workers involved or if they had special people to deal with the Scientologists that would come in. Um, but pre Leah Rimini, I mean, the, I felt that they treated the Scientologists pretty well. Uh, almost like um, a hierarchy. Oh, yes, they're, you know, almost like they were royalty in a way, Uh, you know, and, but now that we know so much about what they actually do, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see if it's different, you know, if, you know. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. I'm sure it's devastating when you have a child there and you can't give them something that's going to give them some relief. Uh, I know that I, I work with some people who were raised uh, Christian scientists, and uh, they talk about having having never been able to take medicine for anything. And uh, one person who I had been working with who had migraines all the time really didn't have a childhood because of it. And um, learned resilience, felt empowered by being able to find a way to kind of pray or distract herself and in some ways felt strengthened by that. But then when she left um, the religion that she was raised in and felt kind of pushed through the nervousness of taking medicine, which she had really thought was gonna be moving her away from God and the protection of God. And then she had sudden relief for the first time in her life. She of course still felt scared, but she got really angry Like here why was it that I was robbed of being able to have my childhood? Uh, And so there are a lot of people who come out of these situations uh, who really are able now to make decisions for themselves, but still have to push through the fear, Um, the kind of the the fear that's gotten under their skin about that something bad is going to happen to them if they take this medicine. But I also think that when people are dealing with cult members, um, people born and raised in a cult or people who have gotten involved later on and they're in the hospital setting or doctor setting, um, one of the things that actually, believe it or not, can be so powerful is actually just kindness. Because a lot of people raised in cults are raised in a way where it's a very harsh life. Children don't usually have childhoods in cults. They're treated like little adults and they're not cared for. And I bet a nurse just going and getting um, um, an ice pack or making sure that your soup is warm enough, these are things that have never been given to people who were raised in cults by and large. And so just um, making sure that you don't take your frustration on the teachings that are limiting that patient on that patient because they really actually need compassion because they're not getting it. Uh, in the cult. I think that's an excellent point that you bring up um, because a lot of the times people will judge them. Oh, it's the Scientologists again. You know, uh, they're in essence objectifying them. Oh, well, that's you. You don't know anything about that person. You don't know uh, how they feel. You know, they're still a person. You should, you're right. You should just treat them with compassion and kindness and that's it. That's right. And and the the patients who were there of all ages, they didn't bring in the rep from Scientology. They didn't bring in the rep from their group. The group sent them in because they can't have people out in the world on their own. 
uh, they have to have someone watching them. They have handlers, basically. Right, handlers. And they don't have a choice. So it can, it can be that you're told as a nurse or a doctor, oh, I asked my friend to come because they're taught to say that. But no, in fact, sometimes they were really actually hoping that no one would be there so they could finally have an open and honest conversation. My suggestion is if someone's handler has been sent in, see if you can have an open and honest conversation with them when no one else is in the room because they might actually be really wanting to have that um, opportunity because they're not given it when they're in the group. Uh, they don't have the freedom, they don't have the privacy. Um, and they didn't ask for someone to come and be there. Usually the, the cult sent somebody. So can you tell us about your podcast and so, where people can listen to your podcast as well? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and add the link to the end Great. of the credits. Great. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's called Indoctrination. And uh, it's all about people who have uh, gotten involved in systems of control whether uh, it was in a uh, relationship with an abuser or a narcissist, uh, whether they were raised in a cult or got involved in a cult, uh, or uh, for families who had a loved one who got involved and learned sometimes the hard way about how not to approach it and uh, want to share their story. And I also talk to um, psychiatrists and sociologists and attorneys who deal with cult-related cases just to kind of approach this from all different angles. But Love it was it. because I, people wanted to be able to tell their stories, and I wanted them to be able to tell their yes. stories, and in a non-sensationalistic way, because the stories are interesting themselves. They're so powerful. I mean, storytelling is powerful, and that's what we're all yeah. about here on Nurses and Hypochondriacs and um, my storytelling show. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, we have dogs on the show all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're alerting me to there being squirrels outside. Anyway, so hold, sorry, one second. Let me just let them out. Okay. No worries. You think they're going to catch a squirrel and they have, you know, it's never happened. <laughs> I love about Anyway, um, but I, th yeah, so people can, pe people want to be able to tell their stories, but sometimes when they've been asked to tell their story on some shows, it's done in this sensationalistic way where someone is really wanting to talk about the heartbreak they have about having left the only community they know. And the interview is saying, you know, well, did the leader make you have sex with him? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, <laughs> wow. Right. Okay. Right. So uh, I think um, in terms of finding it, uh, it's been around for now just over a year. It's just, it was something I started on my own, not having any idea what I was doing. And so the sound has gotten better over time. I know what that's like, yeah. <laughs> right? You just have an idea. Yep. Like, oh, you just have an idea, you got to do it. And right, exactly. With time, it just morphs. So Right. And so people can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and a lot of other places. We're going to uh, uh, be on YouTube more. I have a YouTube channel that they're going to put some uh, compilation uh, videos from the podcast on YouTube. Um, and also, if people want to be able to share their stories, to be in contact with me uh, at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com, just to let me know if there is something they've been through that, you know, is a similar experience. They've been involved in a cult or they wonder if they were, uh, or they've come out of an experience like that or a loved one has. And they haven't had an opportunity to, to use 
their story to help do some education and prevention and they'd like the opportunity, you're welcome to be in touch with me. Excellent. And if anybody would like to come to you for services? Yes. So if you want to come to me for services, you can call me uh, at my office, uh, 818-907-0036. You can also email me at Bernstein LMFT, that's my license, at Gmail, or uh, at my website, rachelbernsteintherapy.com. There are a lot of places, <laughs> a lot of places to find me, and um, and probably just online you can find me. But yeah, I think to be able to contact me and then we can go over um, what your situation is and how I can help. I kind of craft the way I work with people based on the situation and their personality and what their needs are. Um, and in that way, I'm not culty <laughs> because I don't say like, I have the pill that everyone needs and it's the same one, you know, and if it doesn't work, that's your fault. So it's tailor-made to whatever your needs are. Well, thank you so much, Rachel Bernstein, for being on the show and sharing your knowledge about cults. I, I, this has been fun. I love it. You know, I have been, uh, I've gotten more knowledge. I'm sure the, my listeners will get more knowledge. And yeah, until next time, nurses and hypochondriacs, thank you for listening. And thank you for being on the show, Rachel. Thank you very much for the All opportunity. Right. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please go ahead and give us a rating, a five-star rating on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, go ahead and throw us some bucks on Venmo. The link is at the end of this podcast. And if you need to contact us at all, you can go ahead and email us at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and come again. <laughs> <laughs>